Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. As we pick up with 1 Kings chapter 12, let's remind ourselves that in chapter 11, the prophet Ahijah has anointed Jeroboam as king over 10 of the tribes of Israel, Judah and the remnant tribe Benjamin are the only ones that are going to remain faithful to Solomon and therefore move, become the kingdom of Judah under Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son. So that's where we pick up in chapter 12. Rehoboam could have repaired the broken relationship with these factions, but he disregards the advice of his experienced advisors and listens instead to youthful egos, and this gets him in trouble. Also notice that no one, even the experienced older advisors, no one consults God or even a prophet of God. There's no prayer, no mention of how God would have us proceed. Israel is going to be the northern kingdom. That's the 10 tribes, and they rebel. They stone the taskmaster, um, and they secede from the nation of, of Israel now, so that what's left becomes the nation of Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom, and they crown Rehoboam as their king. Israel um, crowns Jeroboam as theirs. Rehoboam now takes up arms against them. Against it. This is a civil war that we're seeing. Um, God sends him advice. Um, unsolicited, apparently, because we don't have him consulting God, through the prophet Shemaiah to stop, which thankfully he heeds. Um, Jeroboam establishes an alternate worship site, um, several of them, as a matter of fact. He doesn't want his people going into Jerusalem. That's how you get them to stay faithful is we are a country. We have everything we need in this country. If Jerusalem, which is now the capital of Judah, um, is still the place where you go to worship, then he risks them being influenced by what they experience there. They could be persuaded to be one kingdom again, and he doesn't want that. He wants to remain king. So he appoints new priests, and they establish new holidays to celebrate as a people. Um, even though this is presented as God's judgment and God's will, um, it's not pleasing or faithful. Jeroboam makes golden calves and proclaims them as the gods that delivered them from Egypt. This reminds us of the golden calf that was created by the people in the wilderness. And there was a God within the Egypt, Egyptian pantheon of gods that was a cow. Um, so they are borrowing and um, assimilating into their culture. This is absolute unfaithfulness. God's people, both northern and southern kingdoms, seem to have forgotten that they are God's people. In chapter 13, um, a prophet goes to announce judgment on Jeroboam. He's an unnamed man um, who names Josiah from Judah, um, who will kill the false priests and will destroy the false worship places. Jeroboam first reacts with youthful insolence. Um, 
like when um, Rehoboam, when he was approached in there. So these are young people who first react out of ego and then have to kind of settle down. Um, He gets a withered hand (laughs) to help him change his mind, have a change of heart, um, and seek restoration. In verse 9, we see that it's not entirely clear if this happens right then or this is a statement that the prophecy comes true at some point. A prophet from Bethel pursues the prophet from Judah, lures him back to his home in disobedience to what God has said to him, and the Bethel prophet predicts his death because of it, um, which uh, does occur in a bizarre manner. The lion attacks but doesn't eat his body and neither attacks nor eats the donkey. That would be unusual. It's also unusual that neither run away. So it's it's an unusual happening that they see as the fulfillment of that prophecy. The Bethel prophet returns and buries the body. He asks to be buried um, with, at this time, and offers and affirms Judah's prophet's word against their worship. Um, Jeroboam, however, is not repentant, and he does not change his ways. In chapter 14, when things get tough, when he has a sick child, Jeroboam turns to the real God, to real worship, to real prophets. He goes back to Ahijah, who proclaimed him king, and his wife goes as well. This very often happens to us. We fall away from faithfulness. We take things for granted. And when we experience some tragedy in our life, we suddenly remember our need for God. It's a little bit of a stretch. I would say that God does not send the bad thing in our life, but God will absolutely use that to draw us back to Him if that makes us um, softened in heart and able to hear better. In chapter 14, as we continue with chapter 14, Jeroboam goes to Ahijah and the news is not good. Um, There's not going to be any dynasty coming from Jeroboam. Uh, You're king, but it's going to end with you. Um, He predicts exile and scattering. The sacred poles are the Asherim poles. Asherah is a goddess of um, the Canaanites. She is the consort of the god Baal. Um, So prolific and so so many statues have been found by archaeologists that archaeologists actually call these little statues of Asherah, these Asherah poles, um, the cult objects of the Hebrew goddess. So it was very pervasive. Jeroboam reigns for 22 years, and his son Nadab succeeds him. The narrative then turns to the nation of Judah, the one tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam reigns for 17 years there, and Judah too engages in idolatry. The text implies that this is due to the influence of the king's mother, who is Ammonite. It also underscores the results of Solomon's um, love of foreign women. Um, Foreigners were always welcome in Israel if they converted, if they became part of Israel and faithful to Israel's religion. 
every time we see that they engage in relationships, whether marriage or treaties with people outside of themselves, they are led away from God. So they were to be an influence on the other people, not the other people an influence on them. Deuteronomy insists that defeat at the hands of an enemy is the consequence of idolatry. Um, Shisha of Egypt um, despoils both the temple and the palace. So this is seen as the fulfillment of what God has always said would happen. Like his northern counterpart, Rehoboam dies in disgrace. Constant conflict between the kingdoms is going to be seen, and Rehoboam's son, Abijam, succeeds him. We move into chapter 15, and we see once again, Abijah is going to only rule three years, all during the rule of Jeroboam. So Rehoboam and his successor are both going to um, be encompassed in the one reign of Jeroboam and the other kingdom. Like his dad, idolatry is going to continue, and the civil war is going to continue. David is referenced It's a reminder of Bathsheba and Uriah and the incident that happened with them. Abijah's son Asa is going to follow him. Asa, as king over Judah, is going to be an improvement. There's going to be religious reform, but it's not going to be complete reform. Asa, however, is going to be faithful to God. He's just not going to insist that everybody else is. Notice that Abijah and Asa are said to have the same mother. Um, so how is Asa Abijah's son? The, the genealogy gets a little bit difficult to understand. The explanation, however, comes to us that the Hebrew word for mother and grandmother are the same word. It's believed that it was the inflection of pronunciation that told you whether you were talking about mother or grandmother and not a difference in the spelling. So what originally looks like we have um, a difficult genealogy like some of the others actually works out um, because of the inflection of the word and the same spelling. Nadab in the other kingdom, in the kingdom of Israel, follows Jeroboam, um, but only briefly. Uh, The prophecy did say that the whole house would be destroyed And sure enough, that eventually happens. Baasha kills him and takes the throne and kills all of the descendants of Jeroboam. So the prophecy that he was given from um, Ahijah comes to pass. The prophet Ahijah here is called the Shilonite um, of Shiloh. um, There to differentiate him from Ahijah, the follower of Baasha. Basha attacks and surrounds Asa. Um, Judah is completely surrounded by Israel's land. That So they have to make a treaty. Um, basically, they pay off an ally of, uh, of Basha in order to get relief from this. Basha reigns in Israel for 24 years. He may have carried out the prophecy of God, but he was not a moral improvement. So he may have been an instrument of God's judgment, but he is he is not um, God's desire, not a, a good example of that. Chapter 16, we see the prophet Jehu, who, who prophesies, um, like Jeroboam, that there would be no lineage resulting here. 
So we have a cycle of a son inheriting and then judgment coming that continues. Baasha was excessive in destroying Jeroboam's whole house. So even though that had been a prophecy, it's seen as excessive. Um, His offspring suffer the same fate because of it. Elah succeeds his father, but is assassinated by the military commander Zimri after only two years. Um, Zimri does to the house Basha what Basha had done to house Jeroboam. Zimri, however, only rules for a single week. Um, The troops appoint Omri instead, another military leader to be king. Omri attacks Zimri, um, who sits in the house of fire, and he um, commits suicide. Omri moves the capital to Samaria. This is not a moral improvement. Things actually get worse here. And this will be the beginning of the... um, Jewish and Samaritan dispute that will last all the way through into Jesus' time. Ahab follows Omri. Omri rules for 22 years. Ahab is his son, and he is even worse than Omri. Ahab marries Jezebel, and Jezebel worships the god Baal. Um, Foreign wives started this whole thing, and foreign wives are continuing the disobedience and the leading away of Israel. Things get worse, and Ahab and Jezebel are the worst so far. Um, Hiel of Bethel builds the city Jericho, and so uh, it fulfills Joshua, the son of Nun's prediction. Um, Joshua, in his book, In chapter 6, verse 26, Joshua says that anyone who rebuilds Jericho will be cursed. Um, So laying the foundation for a new city would cost them their firstborn. And when the gates were erected, it would cost them the youngest. And we see this coming to pass. Chapter 17, we see the prophet Elijah, um, the great prophet of Egypt, emerge. We have no parentage given to us, and John Wesley likens this to Melchizedek, who is mentioned in Genesis 14, who also has no pedigree. So we're not told where Elijah comes from. It's almost as though God just drops him into the narrative as though he is a supernatural and miraculous um, character in this story. The agricultural barrenness of the country matches the religious barrenness that is present. Elijah declares a drought. Um, He's called apart to a wadi. He's fed by the widow of Zarephath. And there's miraculous replenishment of her resources for aiding the prophet of God. Zarephath is in the area of Sidon. And Ahab's wife, Jezebel, is the daughter of the king of Sidon. Um, Sidon is no better off than Israel. So there's just religious barrenness and idolatry everywhere. Later, Jezebel's son dies. Elijah pray, I'm sorry, the widow of Zarephath's son dies. And the prophet Elijah prays and revives him. He stretches out on him three times. So he covers his body limb for limb and prays. We see that um, Paul does this on a child who falls out of a window in the book of Acts. The widow now wholeheartedly believes that he is a man of God, that he is actually a prophet. 
In chapter 18, we are three years into the drought, and God is about to bring it to an end. Obadiah serves Ahab, but reveres God. So he's in a position of wanting to be faithful, but knowing his life depends on serving and pleasing the king. They're searching desperately for water, and Elijah approaches him and enlists his help. We discover that Jezebel has killed off all the true prophets. Um, Knowledge of this has gotten out. Um, It probably was just a rumor at this point here, but eventually it will be confirmed. Um, Nobody wants it really to be confirmed, but Obadiah has hidden a hundred prophets of God to try to save them from this massacre. Jezebel wants to get rid of the prophets of God, so there's no other voice to cry out against what she's leading the people to do. We discover that Ahab has sought Elijah to kill him, and Obadiah telling Ahab that he knows where he is will look like he was hiding them, like he was hiding Elijah. How else would he know where he was if he wasn't hiding him. So Obadiah is trying to protect the prophets of God while saving his own life as well. Obadiah calls Elijah Lord. That's an interesting thing. Um, Ahab calls Elijah trouble. So there's a very different view depending upon your perspective. That happens very often. What some people interpret as a brilliant move of a church, others will call making changes that kill it what some will laud as a fantastic pastor and minister, a dynamic Christian following God. Others will call heretical, a troublemaker, a hard person. Your perspective is always going to um, affect how you see what God is doing and how things are moving. So here we have the prophet Elijah engaging in a contest with the prophets of Baal. There are 450 prophets of Baal 400 prophets of Asherah, the female goddess. The Baal prophets are going to try for hours to um, get their God to send down fire. And Elijah is going to mock them while this happens. This is not only pretty bold, but it's actually pretty funny to me. It's going to go on all day. They're going to cut themselves. And there's going to be no response at all. No voice, no fire, Um This is not surprising to us because we don't believe their gods are real. If there's anything behind their gods, it's demonic. Elijah, however, repairs an altar to God. He does not use a pagan altar for his part of this um, contest. And then he's going to soak the wood in water three times. Of course, we see the number three as being holy for Trinity, once for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Notice that the prophets of Baal continue their efforts while Elijah works and prepares. But fire falls on Elijah's altar. It not only consumes the sacrifice, it consumes all the water as well as the altar. And so Elijah, having won the contest, turns and kills these 750 false prophets. Despite this display of power, however, Ahab is not portrayed as repenting. He does not turn and worship the one true living God. He almost doubles down and uh, digs in in his heels. The servant checks um, seven times because now God is going to serve, ra- send rain upon the people 
and end the drought. So seven times Elijah sends the servant out to look for a cloud, and he finally sees a tiny, tiny cloud. But Elijah says a strong rain is coming. Um, God gives Elijah the ability to run to Jezreel faster than Ahab can travel there by chariot. So as we close chapter 18, we have seen God giving dramatic proof, dramatic witness, not only of God's presence and existence, but of power, a a way of trying to draw people back to worship of the one true living God.